Good to see everybody here this morning. My name is Brad Jackson, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I was praying this morning that we'd have good weather today, and that that weather would last for the next four months, so God answered my request, and I, you're welcome. Uh, uh, it's not going to happen, is it? Hey, uh, it is so, so good to be together. I was thinking as Lisa was talking, um, it's interesting, we're, over the next couple weeks, we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And it's about money and generosity, which often we don't talk about in church. But um, before that, I, I, um, my two years at Crossview, I think again and again, I'm surprised at how generous this church is. And so I want you to hear from me before we jump into this message that um, this, this is an area where we can always grow, but I think Crossview has done and continues to do amazingly, amazingly generous things. So Team World Vision, I think, is just one example of many. Uh, Lisa did a great job running that. We do have, by the way, um, on the back outside on the welcome desk are some books by the guy who started Team World Vision, inspiring, convicting, really great books. Uh, I would encourage you to grab it, uh, especially if you ran, maybe, maybe give it to some donors. But it's 10 bucks, it just covers the cost of, of what we are buying it for as well. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 8, we will be in this morning. And we are going to talk about money. Um, as a pastor, just saying that, I, I, get, a, I get a little nervous because... Uh, usually when we talk about money, it can often be in unhealthy ways. We, we as pastors, th those who open God's words, often do this, do this, give more, do this. And um, I hope this series is the opposite of that. I hope this series, what you hear is not only scripture, but you hear about the gospel and grace and what actually moves us to give. I, I love a couple of scriptures when I think about money and giving that they come to my heart are out of the abundance of the heart. And think of the Gospels where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. This is, when we talk about money, it's not about doing something different. It's about understanding who God is. It's about understanding what the Gospel is about. But we also know that scripture talks a lot about money. A lot about money. The Bible has over 2,000 references to money or to the management of money. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. Isn't that interesting? Jesus talked about money more than any other subject, including heaven and hell and whatever else list you'd want to put onto that. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels has to do with money or possessions. 288 total verses. It's one of those things where if the gospel specifically, but if scripture generally talks that much about money, shouldn't we talk about it? It should be a conversation that hopefully in a healthy way we can have together as a community. Listen to this. Recent survey suggests, this, this will blow your mind, nine out of ten people feel stressed about their money. That doesn't blow our mind, right? If you're the one out of ten, please don't tell us who you are because we don't like you. So... Nine out of 10 people. And then the study goes on to say this. Two-thirds of people say they stress about their finances more than they did 12 months ago. Four out of 10 claim their, their finances actually cause anxiety. And then here, here's what happens. So when we're worried, when we're stressed, when we're insecure about our finances, here's the result that this study says. It says people say they've gained weight, suffered from depression, experienced a lower sex drive, 
We'll just, won't, won't go anywhere there. Couldn't concentrate, had problems sleeping, lost of their sense of humor all due to the state of their finances. That alone should say, should we talk about it? Like, it's a big deal. And the reality is it's all of us. Like, there's no one in this room, if you are new, please hear us say this. There's no one in this room who has their finances all figured out who is completely exactly how God wants it to be with their money. We're on this journey together, and that's why we look at this text from 2,000 years ago to say, what does it look like for us, all of us, single, married, teenager, college age, 20-something, 30-something, empty nester, you're in retirement, you want more, you have debt, maybe you have too much and you tend to use it in unhealthy ways. In ways that are sort of power over other people. We all have issues when it comes to money. And this is one of the best texts in Scripture for us to think about and talk about the issue of money. Let me pray before we jump into it. Father, this is your word. Um, This is your word that points us towards your son, Jesus Christ, God. So I pray, Lord, anything I say or think um, that comes out of my mouth that is not from you, that does not point us towards your son, God, I pray that would fall to the ground. And I pray every word of life and conviction that is from you would pierce our souls. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Corinthians is an interesting book. We have First and Second Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. And it's about the church at Corinth. And uh, some scholars say Paul probably wrote a couple other letters to this church. And he had a bit of a tenuous relationship with the church at Corinth. Uh, sometimes today you'll hear somebody say, why don't we be like the early church? We need to be like the early church. Well, Corinth isn't a church you'd want to be like. The church of Corinth had issues around division as to who they were following and who was in charge. There was a lot of battling between the rich and the poor people in the community. There, there were horrible sexual sins going on. And so this is not a church that you would normally esteem to, but it is a local church that Paul was trying to point towards Jesus Christ so they could be faithfully about the mission of God. And the goal of these two chapters, I think Paul is trying to help this Corinthian church that is a fairly wealthy church, by the way. The church of Corinth more than likely is a fairly wealthy church, which is a good word for us to hear because in Western society, in America, in this area, specifically this church, we have means. We have resources. And so what is the invitation from this text as we think about what it means to faithfully follow God with our resources? 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. And here's what the churches of Macedonia are like. They're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. So generally, we could just say life is hard. It's not going well. Troubles and poor. But, let's describe them a little bit more. They're filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed into rich generosity. We're going to come back to that, and that's just one of the best lines in all of Scripture. Verse 3 says, For I can testify... That they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. It's a great text. So this is rich Corinthian church, letter from Paul, and saying, I want to tell you about the church in Macedonia because you need to learn from them. 
And so 2,000 years later, we're in the same place. We are going to hear about this church or collection of churches in Macedonia who are troubled and poor, but are giving big time. And so what does it look like for us to have that same type of legacy? And I think there's a really simple movement in this text. If you get nothing else, get these three words. They're going to be up on the screen here. And it has to go in this order. If we are going to understand and get what this church in Macedonia was all about and be described as they were described, I think we would all say, I want to be described as someone who has this overabundant joy and it's flowing out into rich generosity. Here's how it always goes. It always starts with grace. Grace leads to dependence. And dependence produces generosity. I think that's what we learned from this church in Macedonia. That it starts with grace, goes to dependence, and leads to generosity. It doesn't make sense. This type of of living doesn't make sense. The the lady who sells almost, you know, a year's salary to buy a jar of perfume to anoint Jesus' feet, that type of generosity, that type of sacrifice doesn't make sense. But that's what we are going to see from this church in Macedonia. So let's start with the first word. It always starts with grace. It always starts with grace. If you hear nothing else this morning, This is the core of what we believe at Crossview. It's what we're about. It always starts with grace. It's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that we could never do for ourselves. That there is a living God who came, who died for our sins and rose again and invites us to be freed from our sins, to be forgiven, to experience life that we could not imagine simply by trusting in him. That's grace. And I think what the church in Macedonia got is that this grace is an experience. Verse 9 says this. This is so beautiful. You know the generous grace. So the word grace is not enough on its own. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty you could be made rich. Not rich in, in things, but rich in that we are made whole because we are trusting Jesus Christ. It's Philippians 2. That God came in the form of a servant so that we could experience grace. And the experience of grace is simply this. It's us acknowledging our shame, our pride, our sin, everything that is about us and our world and our brokenness. And saying, I can't redeem it. I can't make it whole on my own. So God, I trust you. It's the beauty of grace. And the invitation of grace is simply to depend and trust in that grace. I love Anne Lamott's statement. She says, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Isn't that good? If you've never heard the Christian story, maybe you've been away from church for a long time, this is, the, this is the heartbeat. It's that song we sang right before I came up. That there's a good, good Father who loves us and we're defined by His love. God loves you just as you are. Not how you think you should be, not how somebody else thinks you should be. Not defined by the worst thing you've done. God loves you just as you are and invites you to trust him. And when you trust him, when you depend on that grace, what happens is the second part of it. So the grace begins to move us to someplace else. And that's the next part, I think, of what we see in this story in 1 Corinthians 8. The grace leads to dependence. Grace always leads to dependence. Listen to this in verses 3 and 5 again. 
For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Isn't that good? They gave, because of grace, they now gave not only what they were asked to give to the, by the way, what they're giving towards is to the churches in Jerusalem who are very poor. So they didn't give just what they were asked. They gave more and they did it, how? Through being bludgeoned on the head so they could give more? Through six offerings in one worship service? Because they wanted to. They gave more than they were asked, and they did it because they wanted to. They even did more than we'd hoped for their first action to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. So if, if grace leads to dependence, to me it's like, why is that? How does that happen, and why is that? And I think one of the things that we see in Scripture that is hard for us to wrap our heads around, but is one of the most important things, I think it's one of the greatest promises, is this. Everything you have is not yours. Everything you have is God's. If we understand what that really means, that becomes one of the greatest promises in Scripture. We stop clinging so tightly, grasping for what we don't have. If we understand that what you have, everything you have, is a gift from God, then the invitation to you is to manage it. That becomes one of the most freeing realities. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. I think that recognizing God's ownership is one of the most important things. If we're going to understand grace, it actually leads us to dependence. The same God that gave us that generous grace actually now invites us to see all that we have as his and we get to manage it for and with him. It's a complete twist on the way we normally see things. Think about it. So if you believe that you own a particular possession, whatever it is, think about your car, your money, your, your uh, stock market, whatever it is. If you believe you own a particular possession, then the cir- circumstances surrounding that possession will affect your attitude. You see, if you own it, and it's a favorable situation, what happens? We're happy. If it's mine, if it's my money, if the stock market goes goes up, then I'm happy at the end of the day. But if it's my possession, and it's an unfavorable circumstance, what happens? Everything that we talked about at the beginning, depression, anxiety, fear, grasping more and more to try and get more and more, It's all God's. Money is not your possession. It is God's. It's not about how much you have like the church in Corinth. It becomes how much you can give like the churches in Macedonia. I think the parable of the talents is a great understanding here. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, there's this story. And the parable tells of a man who's going on a journey and he's entrusted his possessions to his servants. And it says in verse 15, To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to their own ability. And he went on his journey. And the story goes on to say that when he returned, he held each slave, each servant accountable for managing the possessions that he gave them. And I think likewise, that's the invitation for us. When we have experienced grace and we depend on God, it becomes about us seeing our world as a gift from God. All of our resources... I think that's why in the, in the Old Testament it talks a lot about this idea of tithing. 
And I don't think tithing is a New Testament thing. I think it's, it's actually a, a bigger thing. It's about our heart. It's about generosity. It's about sacrifice. It's about faithfulness. When the Old Testament talked about first fruits, and first fruits is when your crop would come in, when you would get whatever your income was, the very first thing you did was what? You gave back to God. And not because God is selfish, not because God just wants more, because God knows our heart. And usually the first thing that we give to is what we worship. So what if we begin to see all that we have is God's? And that we get to manage it with God, for God. It would change everything. Try that, try that next month when, when, when you go to do your budget. We all do monthly budget. Try that next month. First thing you do is give back to God. I don't care what it is. One dollar, a million dollars. A million dollars would be great. But try as a first fruit giving back to God and see what God, I'm not making promises like you're going to get more money. if you. That's not the point of it ever. That's not the point of scripture. The point of it is your heart. What if you begin to see it as God's? And gave back to God first. And then here's the third thing. Grace, dependence, third thing, generosity. It's, verses two through four say this. It says this. It says, they are being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they are filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed to rich generosity. This, as I studied this last week, this is one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. These people who are troubled, they're poor. 2,000 years later, here's what we know about them. They have an abundant joy that's overflowed into rich generosity. It's the opposite of how a lot of us live. It's the opposite of living out of insecurity where we don't have enough. We're driven by fear. We're protective of what we have. We always want more. We have these sort of either we're like this or we're clawing for more. Dependence, knowing God's grace, understanding ownership, doesn't just lead to generosity. It's generosity that comes from joy. I hope they describe me, I hope they describe us in this way one day. That our legacy as a church, Crossview Covenant Church, that you know how much joy those people have? Like, when you leave work at the end of the day, does anybody describe how you lived out that day as they had a lot of joy? Abundant joy, rich generosity. And we've seen it. We've seen it in our community. We've seen it. I remember in the mid-90s, I went to the country of India for a month. And India at that time was considered a fourth world country because the prediction then was it would never come out of its poverty. And one of the churches that we were at, I forget whether it was before or after the church service, but one of the families had us over. And this family had whatever is beyond nothing is what they had. And the joy and generosity as they simply gave us what they had at a meal blew me away. They could not have been happier to have us in their home and give us probably the last of what they had. Crossview Covenant Church, what if that described who we are? Our legacy, joy, 
and generosity. Let's pray. Father, um, God, I, I believe we want to be this type of people who are described in this way. The, the fruit of the Spirit, joy, things like joy, are who we are. Not who we have to be, but they're who we are because we've experienced grace. And then, God, I pray that you would continue to move us to be generous people. Amongst ourselves, to the least, the lost, and the left behind in our community, in our world. That we would be extremely generous because we get to manage what you've given us. Pray this in your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we head into communion, I would invite you to take a minute. I'm just going to be silent in the room. Take a minute to spend time with God. Confess what sin you need to confess. Invite God into places that you need to invite God into. But take a moment, take a gift of the moment here of silence. Father, we, uh, we cling to your promise in Scripture that if we confess our sin, that you're just and you will forgive us of all transgressions, Lord. So forgive us our sins. And we invite you into the places, Lord, where you need to meet us this morning. pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to do a couple of different things during communion this morning. Um, if you've been to Crossview before, it's, it's pretty simple. Communion is for anybody that is trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. Um, you don't have to be Covenant, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, anybody that trusts Jesus Christ. And uh, the way we do it is uh, when the music starts playing in a couple of minutes, you'll come forward, you'll take a deep a piece of bread, and they'll say this is the body of Christ broken for you, and you'll dip it in the juice, and they'll say this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, and then you'll eat that. And then uh, if you can't get up, uh, Mike will be walking around, just raise your hand, he'll come and serve you, there's gluten-free in the back, um, but that's, that's sort of the communion experience. And then what else is going on, and it's a little different this morning, is the, one of the chalkboards up on the stage is what we call our, our prayers of the people, where you can come up and write a prayer, a praise, a lament. This is a Sunday where we remember the persecuted church, and so those type of things that we write down and we pray uh, together over them. So write something down or just walk up and, and pray over something. But this Sunday is also, in the history of the church dating back to around the 6th century, is All Saints Sunday. And All Saints Sunday is this time where we remember those who've passed on in this previous year. And we do that very purposely as Christians. Um, we have this word remember up here and there's really two pieces to it. One is we remember. And part of all saints, part of the gift, I think, of, uh, of what God has given us is that we do get to remember. We get to remember lost ones that we've lost that, that have gone on to be with God over this last year. And the other piece, as followers of Jesus, is that 
we remember as people with hope. We know that death is not the end of God's story. And so during communion, uh, whether before or after communion, you come up, write a prayer, or just write the name of someone in our community or connected to our community who's gone on this year because we remember as people with hope. The book of worship from our denomination says this about all saints. It quotes scripture. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. For I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they be dead, shall yet live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen? Friends, these are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. Let me pray as our servers come forward. Father, we remember that night where you were sitting with your disciples before you were about to die. And you broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you and you took this cup and you said this cup represents the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. God, we remember that story, the the grace that is offered in that story. And Lord, as the Apostle Paul said, we do this until you come. We believe that death is not the end of the story, that life wins. We act as people of hope. Even in the midst of remembering, in the midst of sorrow, we cling to the hope that you give us. Pray this in your name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.